Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. By now, most of you are aware of the news over the weekend. Georgia did have a scrimmage, kind of a dress rehearsal to get ready for the 2021 season. Eric Gilbert, the recent transfer from LSU and one of the most talked about members of the Georgia roster, was not spotted during that scrimmage. And in the aftermath of that, there's obviously a lot of chatter. And what I'm going to tell you on the show today, at least I'm going to try to make the case for is, is that I don't believe that Gilbert's absence represents the biggest concern from Georgia coming off that scrimmage on Saturday, but it is certainly the biggest news, right? And and that's the thing you have to kind of combat here off the top of the show, because there is clearly no doubt of, you know, no lack of, you know, trollish type media folks and, and just folks ready to kind of make a narrative out of the fact that Gilbert was not there on Saturday. So let's kind of walk through all of this. And similar to what we said about Scott Cochran the other day, we're going to have discussions here that run on parallel tracks. On the one hand, there is the personal concern we have for Gilbert for whatever it is that's you know causing him to be away from football right now. And that's very real. And that's something we're not going to shy away from from mentioning in a discussion like this. But also, we're not going to fail to acknowledge this is also a football show for football fans who care about a football team. And it's just human nature. They can't help but wonder how all of this news impacts the team they want to watch starting September 4th against Clemson. So we're going to do our best to walk both those parallel tracks when it comes to Eric Gilbert, what happened there on Saturday. As far as what did happen, Georgia coach Kirby Smart in his press conference on Saturday did explain the situation involving Gilbert, him not being there from the perspective of the head coach. This is what Kirby Smart had to say. Eric's dealing with some personal issues. We love him. We're thinking about him. We're trying to help him. When you think about a medical staff like Ron Corson has, he has so much experience in dealing with these issues. Our thoughts and prayers are with him right now as he deals with those personal issues, and we hope to get him back soon. So a personal issue that kept Gilbert away from the scrimmage on Saturday. And when Smart says, we hope to get him back soon, obviously one of the things you read into that is a little bit of an open-ended scenario. This isn't, for instance, minor physical injury where you can say, oh, it's seven to ten days, it's two weeks, and there's a expected timeline. When it comes to things like this, at least the, the, the assumption you make on what Kirby Smart's talking about right there is, there really is no expected timeline on all this kind of stuff because I mean listen a lot of us me included have dealt with with you know things that may call you know fall into a similar vein of what Gilbert might be going through and I think most of us would say hey you know a lot of this is really open-ended a lot of this really is kind of to be determined about when you're going to feel better again and when you're going to be able to kind of you know rejoin the aspects of your life that you that you you know you that, that you value and you care about so you kind of understand why smart leaves that a little bit open-ended there at the end of that audio clip there now there is a right way and a wrong way to talk about things like this let me give you an example of what i believe the right way to discuss something like that is our buddy terrence edwards who you may remember we asked on thursday about eric gilbert because at that point in time there had been lots of rumors and lots of chatter and lots of discussion knowing that terrence knows Gilbert as well as he does and frankly loves uh, Eric Gilbert as a mentor to him Gilbert being someone that uh that that uh you know t- uh, Gilbert has looked up to Terrence of course for a long time there as well there's a lot of mutual respect there in that relationship we gave Terrence a chance to talk about Gilbert when he joined us on Thursday but also on social media over the weekend the great former Georgia wide receiver put out a message that most people have interpreted as maybe being about Gilbert Terrence Edwards saying that athletes are real people too I think people forget that sometimes I think that's a good reminder from Terrence Edwards about the situation with Eric Gilbert that you know listen when a guy is dealing with something like this that takes him away from football that's not what Eric Gilbert wants to be true he doesn't want to be dealing with this as opposed to playing the game that he loves he'd rather be out there with his teammates being a part of this scrimmage and enjoying life as a uh, young man so clearly whatever has happened it's not the plan that Gilbert had for himself it's just the kind of thing that's erupted here and I think that uh, Edwards words there are a reminder of how this should be discussed However, I would say there's also kind of a wrong way to talk about this kind of thing. And I think you see an example on social media of of certain people, including the example I'm about to give you of trying to score the cheap points, trying to turn this into, you know, uh, fodder for a hot take, fertile soil for a big, bold opinion, and maybe a chance to kind of come after uh, George a little bit, too, for reasons that I'll get into in just a moment. Think about Danny Cannell here, who's essentially a professional SEC troll as it is. And sometimes because George is a high profile program within the SEC, some of Cannell's ire is going to be 
turned on Georgia from time to time. He retweeted himself yesterday, which is never a very classy thing to do. I think most of us would say, but you know, kind of using the news about Gilbert not being at the scrimmage on Saturday as a as a way to kind of draw attention to himself and some things that he said about Eric Gilbert before. Let me read this for you on Twitter. So this is what Cannell tweeted on June 1st, that coaches should value character as much as star ratings. Selling your soul just to get talent with checkered pass can be risky. But I guess at some point you just throw caution to the wind and it gives you sarcastic go dogs. That was a reference to Eric Gilbert because June 1st is the moment when Gilbert came to UGA. And what Cannell tweeted on Sunday was a reminder with the ellipsis after that, uh, that about what he said there on June 1st. Here's the problem. This is why Canal is such a dope for what he treated, t- tweeted. No one's ever questioned Eric Gilbert's character. What Kirby Smart's describing this is as a personal issue. Uh, and uh, can I see the tweet just one more time from because uh, I want to make sure I get the, the language right here. The idea that somehow um, Gilbert has a checkered past. Trans- transferring out of LSU is not enough to make something be a checkered past. It's loaded phrases like that from Danny Cannell that I think are going to cause a problem for a lot of people. That when he talks about uh, you know Gilbert being someone of poor character, someone with a checkered past. My message to Danny Cannell would be this. You better have the goods to, to prove what you're saying there. You better have the goods to, to use such aggressive, loaded language, because from where I'm sitting, what you see is a guy who's apparently dealing with some things here, but it doesn't make him a bad person. It makes him a person like the rest of us just trying to make sense of his life, especially at a uh, very uh, young age. And listen, I'm not going to pretend like Gilbert's you know, movements and whether he's playing football or not, that it's not going to get a lot of attention. As I said before, we're all human beings. It's human nature to want to give this kind of thing a lot of attention. But for Danny Cannell to say that somehow Gilbert's absence on Saturday proves that he's a a person of low character with a checkered past, frankly, I think that's a pretty despicable thing to say all the way around. But but it's not just guys like Cannell who've said at least similar things here. Somewhat less caffeinated version of the same kind of take came from Cole Kublik on the SEC Network. And as I said before, what Cole said back in the summer was nowhere near as volatile on all of this, but it is a reminder that there are people watching Georgia very closely here. There are people paying very close attention to what Georgia has done by bringing in Eric Gilbert, and there are people openly questioning about whether or not it was even a good idea. Let me show you the tweet from uh, Kublik earlier in the summer when he said, says the moment that it was found out that Gilbert was not going to Florida where he was initially intending to transfer and instead coming to Georgia what Kublik put on Twitter and of course you know him as the SEC network analyst is that I see we're missing the same point with Georgia that we did with Florida a few months ago and I you know Cole's not making it obvious what he's referencing here some people took that to be some sort of statement about uh, Gilbert's academic standing or you know things like that but the fact is Smart has said that that from an academic standpoint, Eric Gilbert is in good standing and ready to go there at UGA. Whatever he's dealing with right now is not related to that. So if you're a Georgia fan, you're obviously paying close attention to this. and You can't help but notice that there certainly seems to be, whether it's a relatively mild statement like what Cole Kublik had or a much more you know cartoonishly bombastic statement like Danny Cannell, that there are people waiting to pounce on Kirby Smart about the Eric Gilbert situation. And you're left to wonder, well, why is that? I mean, listen, Here's the one thing that Kirby Smart's going to always have going against him in the eyes of some people. Smart's just really, really aggressive. In some cases, more aggressive than maybe the average coach would be. He's relatively young in his tenure there at Georgia, but he's not content to simply wait his turn to be one of the younger up-and-coming coaches in college football. No, he's aggressively worked to try to get himself to the top of the sport as quickly as he possibly can, hoarding elite four- and five-star talent, being as aggressive in the transfer portal as almost anyone, continuing apparently to recruit Eric Gilbert even after Gilbert had made his pledge to Florida. These are the kinds of things that put a sign on Kirby Smart's back in the eyes of some because it's always going to be uncomfortable for some in college football when a young up-and-coming coach is that aggressive, when a young up-and-coming coach is that unwilling to wait his turn for the uh, good coaches ahead of him to just get old, retire, flame out, whatever else, and it'll be Kirby Smart's time to have the spotlight solely on him. No, Smart seems pretty con- uh, committed right now to moving himself up the ladder and moving some of those other guys out of that spotlight as quickly as he possibly can, and, and you're going to get some critics when something like, ha- like that you know goes down. Here's the other thing I think needs to be said. I think for some Georgia fans, it makes them mad when they hear Cannell saying, you know, what he says there and what others may have said about uh, Gilbert in the past. I think for some Georgia fans, it actually makes them nervous of, oh, somehow, some way, Georgia must have done something wrong if 
if you've got people saying this about Gilbert and the fact that that Georgia brought Gilbert in in a high profile fashion and now he's not scrimmaging on Saturday somehow some way that that Georgia must have done something wrong by doing all of this but don't believe that don't believe there's some sort of guilt by association for Georgia simply because it brought Gilbert in and now Gilbert's having some sort of issue personal that it's been described as by Kirby Smart that's keeping away from football right now. There's just simply no such thing for Georgia as guilt by association when it comes to this. The fact of the matter is, uh, when you go back and listen to some of the things that Edward Jordan has said about Gilbert in the past, he was dealing with some issues apparently while he was at LSU. So Georgia, by bringing Gilbert in, knew there was going to be some potential that some of whatever may have been happening at LSU was also going to linger for him there at Georgia. But for the Dogs program that desperately needs playmakers and Gilbert has the potential to be one that uh, can certainly shine, this was always an experiment worth trying for UGA. And it remains that way here even right now. And if you're someone who wants the best for Gilbert, and we all should, the idea that Gilbert has a chance to get what he needs this much closer to home at a program like Georgia that's set up pretty well to handle these kinds of things. I would say history proves over the course of the last couple of years, maybe better set up for this kind of stuff than LSU is. Once again, it seems like for Georgia on the field, an experiment worth trying. And for Gilbert off the field with the things that he needs in his life, the kind of program that he has the potential to benefit from being around. So first of all, it, I think you have every right to be upset when you got trolls like Danny Cannell saying what he's saying and every reason to believe that this relationship, Georgia with Gilbert, may still work out fine. With that in mind, let me play one more audio clip here for a moment. Let's go back to Todd Munkin on, I guess it was Thursday afternoon. This is prior to the confirmation that Gilbert being away from the team, but there were rumors about this. We knew that that Munkin would be asked about Gilbert because that had just been the hot topic on the rumor mill going back over the course of the uh, of, of the last few days. And there was something that Todd Munkin said about Eric Gilbert going back to Thursday that still kind of lingers with me as the hope that for Gilbert off the field getting what he needs, George on the field, frankly, also getting what it needs, that all this stuff may still work out okay. Let me let you hear Todd Munkin going back to Thursday. I think he's adapted well. He's a special talent because he's he's in the Brock Bowers mode and that he's athletic enough to play receiver but big enough to do some things on the interior he's a size matchup he's a run after catch guy he loves to play the game so you know we're excited that he's part of our program so two things there obviously nobody disputes the value that gilbert potentially has for georgia and as a football show we care about that but what munkin says there at the end is the thing that if you want something good from georgia to have gilbert back playing and he want the best for gilbert to feel better than he currently feels now listen to what munkin says there at the end the idea that he quote loves to play the game i've told you a million times before i know this sounds kind of corny or you know uh pollyanna-ish or naive or whatever else but i truly do believe this is true that football is an incredible mechanism for positive improvement in your life for the young guys who get a chance to play this at the major college level and all the resources that go in these programs to bettering the lives of the players who are lucky enough, privileged enough to really be a part of this, it's just amazing the, the kind of change agent football can be. And you want football to be in Eric Gilbert's life, whether it's Georgia or somewhere else, because that's the thing that can eventually make him maybe feel better than he feels now or alleviate the personal issue that Smart you know, describes that, that, that he's currently going through. You believe that football can be that for him. And the fact that, uh, as Munkin says, that Gilbert loves the game, loves to be a part of it, that eventually that might be the kind of magnet that pulls him back towards the game and pulls him in the direction that he needs to go in his life. And not just for Eric Gilbert, for a lot of other players there as well. So I take Munkin's word seriously. Nobody disputes that Eric Gilbert is the kind of talent that could eventually help Georgia, frankly. That's why we've talked about him as much as we possibly can. But we also believe this, that to be a part of a team, to be a part of a sport, also has the chance to benefit not just Eric Gilbert, but all the uh, you know players get a chance to come through a program like this to really help them go the next place they need to go in their life college football can be powerful that way and i'm certainly rooting for the fact that it can be powerful in that regard for someone like eric gilbert there as well my name is brandon adams and this is dog nation daily the daily podcast for georgia bulldogs fans we're presented by pella window and door of georgia and glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us today live on video 10 a.m facebook youtube twitter twitch on the page of dognation.com there as well 
podcast, the Apple Player, Spotify, the Google Player. Some of you listen right there on SoundCloud. Some of you like to see the show posted there at dognation.com. You click on it right there. However you get to us, thanks for doing it. Of course, on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, we appreciate you being with us there for that as well. Uh, good to have all of you with us today. Big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of George for making it all possible. You know, they can equip your house with energy-efficient windows and doors. It's something they're great at doing. And what we love about Pella there as well is the fact they really bring the best of two different worlds to you. They're a nationally known company, so you get unparalleled resources, but they're also a locally owned branch right here in Georgia. So you get that family-oriented service there too. I love both those things about Pella Window and Door of Georgia. They give you a no-pressure consultation. They offer you some expert advice on how one of those Pella experts can really answer all your questions and let you know the next step for you in getting those windows and doors that your home deserves. How about some great savings there as well? Pella is currently offering to replace all your windows with payments as low as $99 a month. That's based on a $10,000 purchase at 84 months if you qualify. So a couple different ways to get in touch. Check them out online, the website PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Or give them a call at 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, really good stuff on today's program. Uh, we're going to do some of this with John Stinchcomb in just a moment. We'll find out from John what he thinks with the Gilbert situation and kind of what's next for Georgia, all of that coming up. There's also really huge recruiting news, both good news in terms of Bear Alexander's final two, maybe bad news at least for now in terms of Dion Bowie and the pledge that he uh, gave it over the weekend. We will cover all of that before we're done on the program here today. But before that, let's go around the doghouse. It's assisted today by our friends at AAA. And I said this off the top of the program, and I want to kind of pay off on this right now, that while the Gilbert situation not being at the scrimmage on Saturday is probably the biggest headline and it's generated the most conversation, I don't believe it's the most significant issue that Georgia faced here this past weekend. And I want to try to explain to you why here just for a moment. You know, on Friday's show, we talked a lot about kind of the idea of thin slicing and sometimes a little piece of information tells you all you really need to know. And what I said about George on Friday was I kind of only need to know how much fun the offense is having. If it looks like they're having fun, if it sounds like they're having fun, then the odds are they're probably scoring a bunch of points. If they're scoring a bunch of points, they're probably winning a bunch of games that that football at the highest level of the college game right now just sort of looks fun the games are more entertaining they've ever been the the offenses are more prolific than they've ever been the kind of cockiness and swagger that comes from being a part of something like that tells you all you need to know that if Georgia looks like they're having fun then we're probably all having fun because Georgia's winning a bunch of games and things like that well unfortunately on Saturday the vibe that you get from the Kirby Smart press conference after the scrimmage some of you saw this with your own eyes maybe you can attest to this maybe you can't but the vibe that you got on Saturday was, boy, it might just not have been very much fun. And by the way, for reasons that have probably, frankly, very little to do with Gilbert. Yes, Gilbert would have been nice to have there. But the struggles of the Georgia offense on Saturday, to the extent they took place, certainly cannot all be pinned on the fact that Eric Gilbert was not a part of what went down there. In fact, let me give you some audio of Kirby Smart giving his first-person perspective on this. Maybe a day that JT Daniels was not at his very best overall. Mitigating factors possibly, uh, but nonetheless a situation worth at least considering. Here's Kirby Smart on his quarterback and the offense that he led on Saturday. You know, he's not playing with a full deck, if you follow what I'm saying. You know, he doesn't have all the weapons out there. Fitz was actually out too, so Fitz has got a, a, a foot sprain, and, and so we didn't have all the arsenal there. And JT understands that. He, he understands that we're going through the process of making good decisions, and I'm really pleased with where JT is and his leadership in commanding the offense. But I think he'd admit that he could have a better today than we had today, and, and he knows that. That's not all on him. That's on everybody, including me, offensive staff, and all the guys to keep improving. So, I mean, honesty compels me to admit that – while it's only one scrimmage, it's not even a game, you don't make too big of a deal about it, and there's plenty of reasons why the offense may have struggled, no Kiaris Jackson, no Jermaine Burton, things like that, no John Fitzpatrick. What Kirby Smart just described there, the audio clip that you play, boy, that doesn't sound that fun, does it? And for us to have spent as much time as we spent talking about an offense with swagger and strutting up and down the field, that wasn't that from Kirby Smart on Saturday. Instead, it was explanations for why the offense maybe wasn't moving the football as well as some of the donors who were there or maybe hoping they got a chance to see that. A lot of the scrimmage also took place behind closed doors, I'm told, because of some bad weather. But but still, 
The audio clip there from Kirby Smart, frankly, not all that much fun. You just have to be honest about that. The other thing that comes up is the fact that the Warren Erickson injury is causing a lot of shuffling with the offensive line. And suddenly we've kind of gone for a situa- from a situation at Georgia where it was, is Jamari Salyer going to play left tackle to help protect against those dominant Clemson edge rushers? Does he play his more natural position of guard? All of a sudden now, because of the Warren Erickson injury, for however long that lingers, all of a sudden there's a new variable thrown into the situation with Salyer. Once again, this is true and it's important, but frankly, to think this is the chatter a couple of weeks out from Georgia Clemson, to be completely honest with you, is just kind of not all that much fun. This Kirby Smart again. You know, with Warren Erickson being out, we've worked Jamari and Van Pram both with the ones at center, which has allowed us to work other tackles. Roderick has worked at tackle with Jamari bumping inside some. And Truss has been able to work some at tackle and guard. Amarius has been able to work at tackle alongside Warren McClendon. Center is one of those positions that you can't play with. You better have a center because the play doesn't get started without that. So Blasky has worked there. Uh, Jared Wilson's even worked there some. But primarily it's been Jamari and uh, Van Pran as we work to get Warren back. Kirby Smart's 100% right about this, that center is a very important position. It's the kind of thing that you can't afford to be experimenting with because it has the tendency to just kind of derail your entire offense. But it also speaks to the extra challenge that George is facing. Where to put Salyer was already a big question because there was a little bit of concern that you might be vulnerable if you're Georgia at the spot in which Salyer's not playing. All of a sudden now there's a third spot that Salyer might need to be. In fact, uh, you get the sense that Salyer was participating some at center during the scrimmage on Saturday with the first team offense. All of a sudden you see an offensive line that's probably got more issues that it's dealing with two weeks ahead of the season than you wish was possibly true. doesn't mean that it derails the game against Clemson or the rest of the season, certainly, and Erickson may be back sooner rather than later. But for Georgia on Saturday, the offensive concerns, as we said, unfortunately, extend far beyond just the fact that Eric Gilbert was not spotted there. That is around the doghouse. It's a day by our friends at AAA. Of course, when you think about AAA, and I'm about to be on the road for a lot for this upcoming football season, high school games on Friday, college games on Saturday, coming back in many cases on Sunday, obviously looking forward to enjoying that legendary roadside assistance from AAA in case I have some sort of issue. But that's not the only thing that I think about when I think about AAA. And my encouragement for you is to also expand your horizons when it comes to AAA there too. How about auto insurance? Did you know that when you switch and save your auto insurance with AAA, you can save on average $529. That's real money. That's big savings and a big difference when you switch and save with AAA today. So check out the website. It's aaa.com slash auto insurance. That's aaa.com slash auto insurance. You can switch and save with AAA today. It's great to have them assisting us with Around the Doghouse here today. All right. A lot more for us to do on the program. A uh, bunch of recruiting stuff. Interesting development in the soap opera that is conference realignment and the battle for power in college sports. We'll talk about that before we're done. But for now, on the Gilbert situation, what's going on with the Georgia offensive line and kind of where things are just a couple of weeks out from a huge season opener against Clemson. Let's get it all with John Stinchcomb right now. Let's do a classic city logger insider update and find out where the things stand with the dogs. Good to have you with us here today on Dog Nation Daily. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Boy, lots to talk to uh, John Stinch coming back today. So much going on with Georgia. And seems like, as I said before, you don't want to overreact too much about a scrimmage that you know, wasn't even a game and only a few people got a chance to see. And who knows how the rumors on something like this are even true or not. But it seems like Saturday presented its share of concerns for a UGA. John, let me start with the position group that you certainly uh, you know know very well, having been a part of it. With Jamari Salyer having to work in at center at times because of the fact that uh, Warren Erickson's banged up, a hand injury to his snapping hand, the fact that all of a sudden we've gone from saying, hey, Salyer's either going to be a guard, his natural position, or a tackle, a position that he played pretty well a year ago, to now adding a third variable into that, thinking you may have to play him at center because you need one right now. How much does that concern you as a former offensive lineman getting ready to watch his alma mater against a great Clemson defensive front? Well, it's a, it's a big concern because Clemson's strength is in that front. I mean, they've got some ball players, buddy. They can hurt some teams if you can't answer the bell. And, yeah, we all knew that Warren Erickson is, is that glue in the middle and uh, that losing him, especially this time of year when you're trying to figure out 
who is this best five? Who are these players in addition to Warren and Jamari um, that that are going to help and, and fit in? And, you know, one of the biggest questions we had coming in is where's Sawyer going to end up? And with Harrison going down, it didn't provide clarity. It, it muddled the waters even more. And I think we're seeing the effects of that, especially in the scrimmage. I mean, there's um, all reports indicate there was a, a lack of cohesion there, and uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. But um, just an untimely injury in a position group that needs continuity and needs to kind of develop um, an identity and haven't really had that opportunity yet. Just whether it's a, a, a I had you know, personnel issue is going to make it sound worse, but personnel as in figuring out who the best five are in the right spot and being able to rep that again and again, it just hasn't happened yet. So um, health is always a factor, but also identifying what's the route that we're going to go heading into week one against Clemson and being able to get the time on task for the guys up front. And the other thing that I think you have to say here is, is that Cedric Von Prahn, elite recruit, kind of a top 50 type recruit from, you know, previous signing class. That's a pretty big time guy to bring in and likely Georgia's center of the future at some point in time. But it seems like you're reading tea leaves here on this. If they're talking this much about Sire possibly being that center, then it sounds like the assumption you might make is that Van Pran's not quite ready for that role against a game, an opponent like Clemson. If War- if Erickson's not ready to play, am I reading too much into that if I'm saying that right now? Well, possibly, but not really. I think it might be a maybe an indicator that there are guards that are better prepared, uh, maybe a little further along, maybe a little, a little better understanding. Uh, but anytime you're looking at a, a guy in Sawyer who played tackle all year last year and has already taken reps at guard, and you're introducing this third position, um, it, it certainly makes you wonder why, right? And I think the easiest answer is that you've got better answers at tackle and guard than you do at center right now. One more thing on this, and I promise we won't, uh, you know, keep the same you know conversation going the entire time we're doing our classic city logger insider update here. But the other thing that kind of comes to mind with all of this is you and I talked about Warren Erickson last week. I'm of the belief that Erickson was really very solidly in that role as starting center based on the way that he was treated during the spring, based on some of the chatter that came out about Erickson there at the time. And unfortunately, if it's not Erickson, if it's Salyer now playing center and all of a sudden someone like Xavier Trust starting at left tackle, no disrespect to Trust, but to me that seems like, at least in my mind on paper as I understand it, a lesser offensive line than the one that would have included Erickson at center, you know, maybe Salyer at left tackle with Tate Ratledge as like likely your right guard with Bedrocks, Schaefer, and, and, and McClendon filling out your starting five. Unfortunately, the Salyer at center offensive line to me seems like a lesser line on paper than the one that we've been commonly discussing. Is that unfair? Well, hopefully that's not a scenario that plays out, I think, with the, the Erickson injury. There's some um, haze and, and lack of clarity as to the extent of it, but it doesn't seem to be long-lasting, and the sooner you can get him back and, and get a settlement uh, across that front five, the better. I think they just need to get more reps. But, yeah, I, I think the offensive line looks a heck of a lot better with Erickson in the middle and then only only one other new face outside of Schaefer, Sawyer, and, and McClendon. It's a classic City Logger Insider update with John Stinchcomb. Let me move on to what has been the hot topic over the course of the last couple of days since it was found out that Eric Gilbert, the recent transfer from LSU, was not at the scrimmage on Saturday. John, you know this because you've been around the block. There are critics waiting to pounce on Kirby Smart for even bringing Gilbert into the program and you know, uh, you know, waiting for something to go wrong with something like this. So they could say, see, I told you so. We even had some examples of that earlier in the show. I'm not all that worried about that from a football fan perspective. I think it's an experiment worth trying. And I think that Georgia is the kind of program where Gilbert could potentially find a home. And certainly he's the kind of talent that Georgia can eventually use if whatever personal issue that he's dealing with can be worked out here. I'm not worried about any kind of negative press or negative hot takes, things like that. I simply don't think they matter very much. 
What is your take on everything that's going down here with Gilbert? Much of, much of it unknown. The one thing we do know is he simply wasn't there on Saturday. What do you make of all this? Well, the first thing is you get a chance and an opportunity to bring in a player of uh, Gilbert's caliber. You you jump at the opportunity, and there's no uh, second guessing and and looking back and saying, "Oh, they should have." Well, I'm pretty sure they did as much due diligence as as possible in trying to garner an opportunity and then take advantage of an opportunity of adding such a great player. Now, how it works out, nobody really knows. I I certainly have no idea what he's dealing with other than what I've read. and That's exceptionally limited. So to speculate as to the depth and, and, and legitimacy of the concerns that are being expressed across some of these um, boards and Twitters and those kind of things, uh, time will be the best judge, and we'll be able to figure out uh, and get a better handle on what he's dealing with and, and how that factors in. But, um, you know, up to this point, again, it's just been a bizarre training camp. You lose Coach Cochran, you, and now with Gilbert out, there's some uh, just uncommon lack of access for folks that otherwise you would have full expectations to be fully contributing to this team. It's our classic City Lager Insider Update with John Stinchcomb trying to figure out everything that's going on with the Georgia Bulldogs before they get ready to take on Clemson. You're coming up in a couple of weeks' time. One thing we don't need any issues trying to figure out, we already know this, that one of the things you're going to enjoy as you get ready for the upcoming season is some of that good cold beer from our friends at Creature Comforts Brewing Company and Classic City Lager. It's a lighter lager-style beer, uh, which means it's easy to drink, but there's no sacrifice on flavor for this whatsoever. Classic City Lager is just good cold beer comes in six 12 pack cans wherever you're doing your shopping on a weekly basis you can pick some you can pick up some right there it's a taste of the classic city athens but you don't have to be in athens to get it you can get it wherever you do your shopping i think the can looks great looks good in your hand boy one of those good cold cans feels good there as well especially hot weather like we have this time of year so make sure you check some out try it stock up your tailgate for it have us have yourself a good time as we head towards the season some classic city lager from creature comforts brewing company make sure you check out some uh, good cold beer from them there today it's available year round by the way so make sure you enjoy all of that so john here's the other thing that i'm kind of left to uh, i guess consider with all of this related to the offense and, and once again this is kind of under the category of honesty compels you to admit that some of the chatter of oh gosh there's only one football how does georgia spread the ball around to all these playmakers how do they get everybody involved i'm not trying to be sarcastic but it seems like some version of this happens every single year where you go from thinking man georgia's got so many potential playmakers that that you can't you can't get them all involved you can't use them all and you finally get to the point where the season's actually getting ready to begin and you kind of arrive back at the same spot you typically are which is Actually, Georgia's like most teams in the country, just trying to figure out if they have enough potential playmakers to do the things they need to be able to do this year. And that's not unique to Georgia, but we're just kind of obsessed with this program. And so maybe we ride that roller coaster ride a little bit more than maybe some other folks do. But that's kind of the point we are here with the UGA right now. It's not this huge wealth of wide receivers, and it's simply which ones are on the field at any given point in time. It's do you have three or four that you can really depend on, especially when Kyrus Jackson and Jermaine Burton are back healthy again? The same thing for a deep stable of running backs. They all look like they can play. But of this group, which couple can really give you the dominant performance you need to move the football once again against an opponent like Clemson? That right now, this offense has some of the same kinds of unanswered questions that the last couple of years for Georgia have seemingly presented. Do you agree with that? Well, I'd say this. It's the deepest roster I think Georgia's ever had. And the reason for, oh, <laughs> do we have enough footballs on the field? I, I, I kind of get that, that argument this year more than any other. But at the end of the day, you're, you're right in thinking that uh, once you get out there and, and you figure out who you can go to on a consistent basis, um, it, it certainly sifts itself better. But... Um, it's a deep roster, and those are two position groups that, um, one, the running back that Georgia has recruited well and has kept uh, loaded for quite some time, they've been able to manage that in the past. I mean, we've always had, especially in recent history, at least two very viable 
backs. Uh, you think of DeAndre Swift behind Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle back in the day. We're three deep of, of NFL caliber top notch running backs, and they were able to manage expectations between the three of them. Um, similar to what you have now in the backfield, I think the only addition to that equation is the fact that for the first time, we have a number of wide receivers that we feel like can make plays, uh, but none of them, they all haven't been available at the, at the same time yet. So uh, that's still an unknown as to who really is the guy we can go to on a Saturday and who is, has just been kind of hyped up in this offseason. John, always a great conversation. I certainly appreciate you being a part of us here today on our Classic City Logger Insider Update. Can't wait to speak to you again as we get even closer to that Georgia-Clemson game and all the fun that's going to be had as dog fans start heading towards Charlotte. It is almost upon us and just a couple more of these rumor mill cycles to endure before we actually get some real football on the field. <laughs> oh, we're so close, but yet there's such fodder right now that uh, you know, it, it's manufactured a little bit, but there's also some stuff that's come from Athens that has fanned the flames of speculation and, and concern and discourse. So and it'll be interesting uh, and, and beneficial for all of us, I'm sure, once we get to actual football. Yeah, John, I think that's well said. Good stuff. Thanks for being here. We'll look forward to speaking to you soon. Looking forward to it, B.A. Go dogs. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I think John makes a lot of sense with what he says there. Um, and it leads me to say this, not to put words in John's mouth, but what it leads me to say based on what John said there was, I mean, for a team like Georgia that prides itself on avoiding distractions at all costs and almost everything around the program is designed as a way to limit distractions, the fact that there have been a couple of potential distractions here over the last couple of weeks seems a little bit un-Georgia-like and the kind of thing that's going to get some attention. As I said before, people can criticize Kirby for bringing in anybody they want. I, I truly don't think that matters here. What matters is what you do around that, right? What matters is what you do with the players that you do have available. And I hope that Gilbert is one of those guys that Georgia does have available at some point in time. But if he's not, what do you do then with the other guys? That's what really matters. And ultimately, that's the criticism that one way or another sticks with Kirby Smart. Trying to be aggressive and going out and getting a former five stars of transfer, knowing that, you know, it was not a 100% maybe certainty of what he'd be able to contribute for you here this year experiment worth worth taking i think it had the potential to benefit both sides i think it still does have the potential to benefit both sides but ultimately the criticism or not that's going to stick with kirby smart is what you do with the players that you do have available can you create an offense can you create a program around the guys that you do have available for the upcoming year we'll talk more about that in a moment i also remind you as we head towards the start of the football season we also head to one of the big sporting events that happens in atlanta each and every year it's the tour championship returning to east lake golf club the week of labor day weekend coming up there the uh september the 2nd through the 5th i've been there for this event before i've been to east lake uh was lucky enough to be there um you know a few weeks ago there as well a beautiful course a tremendous backdrop for really the championship event of the pga tour the pga tour had its final regular season tournament yesterday we move into the pga tour playoff portion of the calendar right now by the way uh, shout out to kevin kisner we'll do more of that in a moment before we're done on the program and it all culminates right there at east lake golf club on september 2nd through the 5th with the tour championship finale right there an amazing chance for you to see first of all we know that harris english is going to be there other guys like chris kirk brian Harmon, uh even kevin kissman there as well working their way into that field to be a part of that final group there at east lake gonna be a fun time also great saving as well two youth uh tickets can be admitted free with a ticketed adult that's anyone 15 or under and of course uh military members and a guest can register for complimentary admission there too so good stuff all the way around there check out tourchampionship.com for more details that's tourchampionship.com for more details let me say this for those of you that want a dose of positivity tomorrow we're going to really have that a very strong interview on our show tomorrow with peter burns and the sec network and i'll tell you how all of this came together so we were talking the other day on the show about how um uh 
you know, I, I'd said that there hadn't been a lot of big names with big followings picking Georgia win the national championship. And some folks reached out to say, well, actually, B.A. Peter Burns from the SEC Network, he has picked Georgia win the national championship. So we reached out to Peter to say if he w- would mind coming on the show and kind of making his case for Georgia winning the national championship. Peter, very glad to do that. We actually recorded this on Friday. We would have played it for you today, but there's so much going on, we just didn't have time to do that. So tomorrow, we'll kind of kick off the show with really good stuff from Peter Burns on the um on the subject of georgia winning the national championship why he believes uh that's going to happen so that'll be really good stuff tomorrow we're also broadcasting live from the corky kell uh luncheon tomorrow as the corky kell classic classic for the 30th straight year gets ready to get going in the atlanta area and across the state of georgia here this weekend i'm lucky enough to be on a part of the call for a few of those games so we'll preview some high school football and let you hear from peter burns on tomorrow's show that's going to be really good stuff uh, speaking of high school football, let me deal with some recruiting news here for a moment as we move into our SEC through. So on over the weekend, Dion Bowie, former Georgia commit, five-star from Bainbridge, Kirby Smart's hometown, but also the hometown of Nick Williams, the former Georgia staffer now working as a staffer at Texas A&M. Bowie announced that he was committing to Texas A&M. You know, this is obviously the next step in all of this process. In fact, let me show you on the screen here, uh, Bowie to the uh, Aggies here for a moment. Uh, he shows you the committed to Texas A&M, wearing the uh, maroon colors for the Aggies. And listen, I'm not going to pretend this is nothing to have him committed there to Texas A&M. My assumption is it's not over between Georgia and and, and Bowie. My assumption is this commitment will still be, uh, this recruitment will still be ongoing here. But it is a pretty big blow by A&M to be able to come into the state of Georgia get Bowie you better believe that this is something that A&M fans are very much celebrating uh they have seen the recruiting fortunes for Texas A&M rise here over the course of the last couple of years and coming into Georgia and getting the pledge from Bowie even if it's only for right now that's going to stand as a uh, big big win for Texas A&M and obviously the kind of thing that a lot of Georgia fans are really noticing uh, you know another kind of interesting domino falling in this class of 2022 with Bowie going public with a commitment there to Texas A&M. Another guy that Bowie's commonly been linked to because of the cross-pollination of Georgia and Texas A&M is Bear Alexander. We heard Jeff on Friday's show in the subject of defensive line recruitment for Georgia saying that he didn't believe it was over between Georgia and Big Bear Alexander. And maybe proof that's the case is that uh, almost simultaneously to Bowie announcing a pledge to Texas A&M, Bear Alexander comes out on social media saying that uh, he's actually down to a final two that includes Georgia and Texas A&M. Let me show you this on the screen there from uh, Big Bear. Uh, Of course, a Hayes Fawcett edit. We've seen a lot of those on social media. Big Bear sharing that when it comes to the Aggies uniform, the Georgia uniform. So this is one of those things where I think it's kind of funny that on the basis of the news from this weekend, it seems like bad news for George with Bowie pledging to Texas A&M. Good news with Bear Alexander naming George as a part of his final two after having decommitted from Georgia not all that long ago. But if I had to guess, the actual most likely scenario at the end of this is still reversed. I still think it's more likely that Big Bear Alexander, unfortunately, ends up at Texas A&M. And that's obviously a disappointing thing for me because I like him as a player and I love him as a personality. But I think it's more likely that he ends up at Texas A&M. The honest truth is I actually think it's still more likely than not that Bowie ends up at Georgia more so than Texas A&M. When that recruitment's all said and done, that's just my opinion. But that's the opinion that I have. But interesting that both of these recruitments that have kind of been a Georgia-Texas A&M type thing, they both kind of played out over the course of the weekend. Another recruiting note to get to you on, uh, Jake Pope, the three-star safety from Buford High School, is ready to make an announcement tonight. I think he's going to do that on local television, the uh, Fox 5, um, uh, I believe, local television in Atlanta. I, I guess George is somewhat involved in this, but I don't think a huge player in this near the very end. You've heard some Alabama. Uh, I think you know I've heard a little bit about Notre Dame here and there. But it sounds like that Georgia is not going to be the school from Pope. I'll probably still be kind of paying attention to this to see where he lands. But he does get ready to make his announcement. Uh, pretty good player, very good player there from from Buford, but probably not a Georgia from Pope tonight. At least that's the sense that you're kind of getting at the moment here. A lot of the online chatter has been Alabama, but I, I'm not quite sure uh, you know what to make of that, but that is kind of out there for right now. Another interesting story, and this kind of bubbled up on Friday, and the honest truth is I thought we'd actually probably spend more time talking about this than we're ultimately going to be able to. A report from Max Olson at The Athletic 
about a supposed alliance being formed with the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC to essentially combat the SEC. This is one of those things that could be done for the purposes of non-conference scheduling, but also could be done to kind of form a, a voting pact to basically work against the SEC, almost all of this being treated as an act of retribution against the SEC for the for the decision to add Oklahoma and add Texas to strengthen that league, these leagues joining together as a way of protecting themselves. This is also going to be a factor when you move into, maybe you've heard some chatter about this, the the NCAA constitutional convention that's about to take place. And no, they're not going to be wearing like powdered wigs and dressing up like Hamilton characters. There's you know going to be, a I guess, some changes to the NCAA bylaws, big change to the way in which college athletics governs itself and there gonna be some serious votes taken on that this alliance as was reported by the athletic going to be kind of an act of voting in favor of each other and in potentially in some cases against the sec i think the reaction to some of this has been kind of interesting some people have kind of laughed at this and basically suggested the sec has nothing to worry about on that i'm not quite so sure i fully see it that way i mean i, I do think if these leagues joined together they do have a lot of power and even if you kind of say well most of the schools in these leagues don't have the kind of individual cachet that the very best sec programs have or even the very best big 10 and pac-12 in some cases acc programs might have that may be the case but i'm still reminded that the ncaa basketball tournament which features a lot of teams without very much individual cachet add all that together it's still a huge tv property worth billions of dollars I think a college football national organization that kind of functions the same way would also have, you know, pretty strong cachet here and could potentially be, a, you know, a, a true legitimate competitor, whatever it is the SEC is trying to do. The other thing, you know, that I'll you know kind of say about all of this as it you know kind of all plays out is I think it's you know, probably way too early to kind of see exactly how all this is going to go for right now. But it would not surprise me if if this ends up mattering more often than not. And I'll tell you one way I'm, I'm actually kind of rooting for it potentially is because right now the SEC is about to move into a world in which its television fortunes are totally tied to ESPN. In the very near future, CBS is out of the picture, and it's just ESPN as a television partner for the SEC. ESPN also totally controls the ACC, and they – control the entirety of the college football playoff at least for right now one of the things that the pac-12 has argued for and i think the big Ten's kind of in this discussion too is hey the the college football playoff is too valuable as a property not to have it negotiated on the open market let's see what other media partners could potentially provide us beyond just espn i kind of think that's true i mean i think a world in which espn is not the only media rights holder in the sport is actually probably a pretty good thing let me give you one specific reason as to why I'll make this quick. Did you watch the Field of Dreams game the other night on uh, Fox, the Thursday night game between the White Sox and the Yankees that took place in Iowa in the uh, Field of Dreams style cornfield there? That was an amazing TV product, right? It was a tremendous game, but the actual TV product, the way in which it tied back to the movie Field of Dreams, was just terrifically done. Let me ask you a question for a second for those of you that watched the game. Do you think ESPN could have pulled that off? Do you think ESPN was capable of producing something that looked as big as Field of Dreams looked on Fox of the Night? I, I, I truly don't believe they're capable of doing that. In fact, I think everything from a sporting sense looks bigger and better on other networks. College football looks way better on CBS. The NBA looks way better on TNT. The NFL certainly looks way bigger and better on NFL on uh, NBC or CBS or you know the other uh, Fox e even. I think Major League Baseball just looks bigger on Fox than it looks on ESPN. For whatever reason, ESPN, though it thinks of itself as the worldwide leader in sports, it has a way of making the sports that it televise just seem smaller than the sports when they're on competing networks. So I'm kind of rooting for a competing network to eventually get involved in whatever happens with the, uh, with, the, with, with the college football world here. And if this alliance brings a player like Fox back to the table in a roundabout way, I don't think it's actually a problem for the sport. Let me do a couple of other stories here. We're going kind of long, but I want to make sure that we uh, get all this in here. So there was news coming out of South Carolina over the weekend. Luke Doty, the starting quarterback that emerged near the end of last season for South Carolina, and was certainly the you know the the likely starter going into this year. He has hurt his foot in one of those center quarterback exchange things where you end up with a hurt foot. We don't quite know when he's going to be out, but apparently South Carolina fans were just beside themselves in disappointment when they heard the Doty news. So much so that Shane Beamer 
kind of you know basically lashed out at the what he called doom and gloom from uh fans who thought the season was now over because doty was hurt we don't know how long doty's going to be hurt but sometimes these things do have a tendency to linger a little longer than you might like but beamer went even so far as to say maybe taking a page from Dabo Swinney's book that it was quote bull crap that uh that south carolina fans thought that the Doty injury is going to be that bad for the Gamecocks. So in this particular case, I've actually liked a lot about Shane Beamer since being South Carolina coach. I'm actually probably more with the fans on this one than I am Beamer that I saw South Carolina play last year when Doty wasn't quarterback. It was not a thing of beauty. This could be a very concerning situation for the Gamecocks if Doty's missing any significant time there whatsoever. Also, and I skipped over this and I apologize. Let me let me go. Sometimes I have a tendency to go out of order on my SEC through stories, but let me uh, hit this one uh, instead here. There's a little bit of drama for Kentucky at the quarterback position now. Uh, Will Levis was named as Kentucky's starting quarterback. That's a recent transfer from Penn State. For some people in Lexington, this wasn't a huge surprise. I think he was kind of thought of by some people there as maybe being the favorite. I had sort of assumed it was going to be Joey Gatewood, but I'm obviously a couple hundred miles away from Lexington, so it kind of shows you what I know. Gatewood, the former Auburn transfer, though, has now reportedly put his name back in the transfer portal again. So Gatewood, at one point in time, leaving Auburn and going to Kentucky was kind of a big deal, and now without really ever really getting a chance to have a full season to himself, Gatewood's now on the move again. And uh, Levis, who's a pretty athletic dude, apparently he even played some running back at Penn State, uh, certainly was a running quarterback while he played there he is going to be the starter and this is a guy that you know some Kentucky fans were a little bit excited about so uh, if you're making mental notes here the starting quarterback for Kentucky this year not Gatewood he's in the transfer portal it is instead a Penn State transfer Will Levis so pay close attention to that and then finally let me just do this very quickly there were a lot of other scrimmages around the SEC over the weekend and a lot of chatter got generated from them First of all, it sounds like Demetrius Robertson had a very good day for Auburn, catching a lot of balls, being used. It took him a while to actually get cleared to practice there, but it sounds like all that's happened in time for him to be out there, be a part of the scrimmage of the weekend. He earned some praise on that. Uh, LSU scrimmage took place. I think it's really interesting that Ed Orgeron actually gives out quarterback stats for both Max Johnson and Garrett Nussmeyer. Sounds like they both had a couple of moments where they threw touchdowns. It sounds like it was also a pretty good day for the defense. Orgeron, very very much complimentary, though, of the freshman wide receiver, Brian Thomas, who it sounds like they now think can really step in and play there. So Orgeron not really holding back on his praise of Thomas which I thought was pretty interesting. Bryce Young apparently threw three touchdowns for Alabama over the weekend. It was a day in which it sounds like, you know, once again, you know, defense may have been a little ahead of the offense in Tuscaloosa, but it was at least good enough offensively that Bryce Young had three touchdowns there in that discussion there as well. So a busy weekend of scrimmages all around the SEC. Try to cover all of that for you, and hopefully you got all of that. If you have any questions, you can see me after the show. We'll make that your SEC through. So I mentioned PGA Tour golf a little earlier. Let me give a shout out to a dog on tour who got a great win at the Wyndham over the course of the uh, weekend. Uh, Kevin Kisner, in a, I think it was a six-man playoff, which is very hard to play in a six-person playoff. But uh, Kisner goes out and gets the win there at the Wyndham over the weekend and obviously setting himself up for the playoffs that are about to get going here. But also... A little bit of chatter that maybe this is the kind of thing that gets Steve Stricker's attention to put uh, Kisner on that uh, Ryder Club team. You know, Kisner's had some success before in match play type events, so maybe uh, maybe Kisner gets an extra look now for the Ryder Cup. We'd certainly love to see that as you start thinking about later on the month of September. Classic old shoe golden shoe today, by the way, as well. Uh, our buddy Mad Dog kind of giving you the uh, dog here, taking care of his business on the uh, gator-themed fire hydrant. That's old school, but it's a winner for today. Our buddy Mad Dog showing up on that. How about Gator Hater Countdown? Just 70... Six days from now, dogs get a win against those lousy, stinking gators. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Of course, you can check them out online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. As I'm recording this, just after the regular show has ended here on this Monday, we also have some breaking news. The Associated Press preseason poll is out. The top five is – actually, it's not – yeah, it's – no, that's not true. It is a little bit different than the coaches' poll, right? Clemson was number two in the coaches' poll, but Oklahoma comes at number two in the AP poll. The other thing is, while the five teams that make up the top five are essentially the same, 
with Bama number one, Oklahoma at number two, a flip-flop from the coaches' poll with Clemson, who's at number three in the AP poll, followed by Ohio State, then Georgia. The thing that's interesting here is, is that there is a little bit of parity in the AP poll in a way that did not exist with the coaches' poll. Uh, I believe only two teams got votes for first place, number one, in the coaches' poll. Alabama got all but two. Oklahoma got the other two. In the case of the AP poll, you've got uh, Bama getting 47 first-place votes. Oklahoma got six first-place votes. Clemson also got six first-place votes. Ohio State got a first-place vote, single one. And then Georgia, the number five team, got three first-place votes. So interesting here in that the riders see a little bit more potential for national championship parity than apparently the coaches did. And also interesting to see that Georgia, who we've kind of talked about, you know, maybe not having a lot of buzz to win the national championship right now, although easily one of the shortlist playoff contenders actually has three AP poll voters who give their nod to the dogs there. And of course, tomorrow on the show, we'll hear from Peter Burns from the SEC Network, and he'll make his case why he believes that Georgia is going to win the national championship. So pretty interesting there. The rest of the top 10, A&M at six, Iowa State at seven, Cincinnati is eight, Notre Dame is nine, and North Carolina is 10. So a little difference from the uh, coaches poll there. Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, Florida at 13 in the AP poll. They were 11 in the coaches. You've got LSU at 16 in the AP poll. They were 13 in the coaches. Then you've got, after that, what else of note? You've got two group of five teams near the bottom of the top 25, Coastal Carolina and Louisiana. Lafayette also makes the uh, list. Others receiving votes from the SEC. Ole Miss, which was ranked in the coaches' poll, got 106 votes in the AP poll but did not make the top 25. Auburn got 32 votes. Interesting to see that Auburn got fewer votes for the AP top 25 than its uh, old quarterback Malik Willis did, now playing at Liberty. The Flames got 36 votes. You've got really no other sec teams really getting any other votes there so a little bit more representation of the also receiving votes category from the coaches poll but top five does include georgia they are number five and you got three first place votes for the dogs there on that i want to get a couple comments here for a moment dog talk 20 writes in on twitter to say i'm telling you right now that ad mitchell is going to be a weapon for the dogs this season so i talked about this on cover four live on thursday the idea that I thought one of the most interesting guys that could potentially be talked about on the heels of the first Georgia scrimmage would be Mitchell. Because as I said on Cover 4 Live, this is a guy who earned a lot of buzz during spring practice and then validated that spring practice buzz with a very strong performance on G-Day. And that if he got the same kind of buzz coming off the first scrimmage, then at that point in time, you'd have to kind of say that A.D. Mitchell looks like a big part of this wide receiver rotation. And you know, I think if you go back and listen to some of the stuff from Kirby Smart from Saturday, I do think he's fairly pleased with some of the stuff that Mitchell's doing. I, I believe that Smart was complimentary of Mitchell once again. And so at this point in time, I'm forced to conclude that A.D. Mitchell must be a part of the Georgia wide receiver rotation this year and that he could be in line for an uncommonly good season for a freshman, given the fact that it's not really the buzz that he had around him when he was first signed by Georgia. But clearly, that's kind of the chatter that he's generating right now. And I'm not going to tell you he's going to be like the next Chris Lave or anything like that. But as we said over and over again, a lot of the top receivers in college football, you know, Oklahoma's had their share of this. Ohio State, including Olave, has had their examples of this. They're not all elite recruits. You know, obviously, five star guys, you know, commonly do well. That's what makes them five stars. But some of the best receivers in the country in recent years have not had that same recruiting profile. So if Mitchell were to be very good for Georgia, and if he's playing right away, then his chances of eventually being very good are pretty high, or at least higher than than you know one would have otherwise thought. Uh, you know, it would not be you know the most uncommon thing to have happened in college football. So I'm happy about what I've heard from Mitchell so far, and you know glad to to see him fitting in at Georgia as quickly as he seems to be. Over here on the page of DogNation.com for a moment, some comments over here going back to Friday's show. Uh, one Sikkim Dogs one reacting to Steve Spurrier and the trash that he talked about UGA going back to the opening of his restaurant, the fact that he was wearing a red shirt, and then spun the idea that his red shirt was because he was excited about seeing the Gators whip up on this. He says whip up on the dogs in the cocktail party. I thought that was a little bit of a spin control on the spot from Spurrier trying to explain away the red shirt. 
but I guess the fact that Spurrier's already thinking cocktail party in its own right may not be a bad thing. It just goes to show you the energy that exists around that rivalry right now, and I'm glad one Sikkim Dogs won is in the comment section, giving it back to Spurrier on that. I'd love to see that. Uh, Oz Dog writes in to say, I know it's too early for this question. However, if the offense performs well, uh, will UGA be able to keep Todd Munkin after the 2021 season? And I actually think that's a really interesting thing to think about because, you know, ultimately, if Munkin has a chance to go back and be a play caller again in the NFL or a head coach somewhere at the college or the professional level, then obviously it'd be a hard thing to keep him from doing. But what you really care about, I think, if you're a Georgia fan is, you know, can you get the most out of him and have the kind of season from him that does put him back on those radars again? Because once again, to operate on the idea that sometimes small pieces of information tell you what you need to know, that if at some point in time in October or November, if we're hearing chatter about, ooh, Todd Munkin on the radar for such and such job, you know, getting the attention of, you know, you know, would be general manager the NFL level or 80s the college level if that's the kind of buzz that Todd Munkin is generating that probably means something pretty good for UGA fans so the answer that maybe Ozdog doesn't want to hear is as I do believe it would be hard to keep Munkin if Georgia had a great season offensively but hearing that Munkin may not be able to to be kept at Georgia and hearing that he might not be sticking around much longer might be a pretty good sign for how well the dogs are doing on the field and that's at least maybe some consolation there Red Dog 1 also kind of writing in about all the reasons why Jake Fromm maybe wasn't having fun in 2019, and maybe that's one of the things that caused him to leave after his junior season. We addressed that on the show Friday related to the topic at hand. And, you know, I think that, unfortunately, Georgia in the moment since then has been trying to reinvent itself as just a team that's a little bit more fun to play for on the offensive side of the ball. And the results on that have been a little bit mixed. You had the weirdness of last year's offseason with Jamie Newman and you know whatever's happening right now on the Georgia program too. And you're just hopeful to see, to go back to Ozdog's uh, point a moment ago, you're hopeful to see an offense on the field this season that's clicking. And receivers are getting a bunch of stats. And JT Daniels is enjoying the limelight. He just signed a big NIL deal to some autograph trading cards he's selling a bunch of those because of how well he's playing and all the things that that goes down with that you just hope this is a team that looks like it's having fun because if it is it's probably winning games that 2019 team most of the time the thing about swift and from arguing on the field against kentucky to hate to make a lot of that but uh it's just kind of a kind of a snapshot of what that whole season was the kind of season at time that just didn't seem like it was all that much fun hopefully this season this year feels a lot more fun good comments all the way around we appreciate you being here for them our rs andrews podcast cool down y'all make sure you check out rs andrews online at rsandrews.com and they'll get your air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs or if your water heater goes out in many cases rs andrews can replace it for you the same day just gotta find them online rsandrews.com you have a great day see you tomorrow we'll be live at the corky kell kickoff luncheon uh, with Peter Burns, good stuff from Connor Riley, and a whole bunch more. We will see you then. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Y'all have a great day, everybody.